You're listening to the Cornerstone Word of Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching. For more information on our church, please visit cwol.org. Over in Hebrews 10.23, it says, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful, that is promised. Everyone say, he is faithful. Now, lots of times we read this scripture and we, tell, you know, we look at it and we say, hold tight to our profession of faith. Believe in God for whatever it is, healing or finances or our children to come back home and serve the Lord. And that is true. You need to hold to that confession of faith. But what he's talking about here is let us hold tight our profession of faith that we've made before many witnesses. That is our faith in Jesus Christ. And if you're going to fight the good fight of faith, you must hold to that confession of faith that you've made before many witnesses. Can I get an amen? amen. First Timothy chapter six, verse 12. Now we're going to go pretty quick this morning. So y'all stick with me. Amen. We got 10 pounds of potatoes. We got to fit in a five pound bag. All right. In other words, I got a lot to say and not a lot of time to say it. Hallelujah. So we're going to be cooking with gas. Amen. First Timothy six twelve out of the NIV. It says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life, which were you recalled when you made a, your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Now, 2 Timothy 4, 7, Apostle Paul says this, I have fought the good fight of faith. I have finished the race. I have, had, I have kept the faith. And then we read this a couple weeks ago, and I want to share it about again. I have fought the good fight. The Christian life is also re- often represented as a conflict or warfare. That noble conflict with sin, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, I want to pause right there and interject this. You know, in 1 John 3, 8, it says that we have been set free because he has destroyed the works of the devil. Now, lots of times when we read that scripture, we see that word destroyed and we think, well, man, he just destroyed the works of the devil. I got nothing to worry about. And that is true. You have nothing to worry about because you have a great savior. But that word is actually translated luau, L-O-U. And what it means is, is you've been released from the works of the devil. So in other words, you can look all around us and see that the works of the devil are still here. Right? But the works of the devil don't affect you because you're a believer. Hallelujah. And the God that you serve is faithful. But how do we overcome the works of the devil that are still existence in the world we live today? We fight the good fight of faith. Oh, come on now. You got to hold fast to this. You cannot, do you have too much riding on it to lose this fight with the sin, the world, the devil, and the flesh that is trying to creep on the inside of you? Amen. Amen. So you have to resist that. And the only way you can resist that is to fight the good fight. Amen. Amen. And so we have to hold on. And he says this, I have steadfastly maintained the faith of the gospel, or I have lived a life of fidelity to my master. Probably the expression means that he had kept his plighted faith to the redeemer and had spent a life faithfully endeavoring to serve the Lord. Hallelujah. So I want to focus on, and we talked about this and we spent a lot of time a couple of weeks ago about fighting the good fight. Amen. And we said, we, we put that on the inside of you that this is what you're supposed to do. Fight, fight, fight. This morning, I want to look at as a believer, how do we do that? Now, if we had six weeks, we could really go deep into this and we could look at several things that will help us fight, but we don't have six weeks. We have less than 60 minutes. (laughs) Amen. And so we're just going to look at two things this morning that if you grab a hold of them, they'll really help you. So number one, to fight the good fight of faith, we must commit to this lifestyle no matter the cost. As a believer, You must commit 
to this lifestyle no matter the cost. In Luke 14, Jesus is talking about counting the cost. And he talks about when someone builds a house, they first look and see if they have enough resources to complete the job. He said no king goes to war without first evaluating how many troops and warriors he has. And then when it comes to the kingdom of God, he says this in verse 33. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Now I want to read this to you. No man can be a Christian who when he makes a profession is resolved after a while to turn back to the world. Nor can he be a true Christian if he expects that, the will, that he will turn back. Nor can he be a true Christian if he expects that he will turn back. What does that mean? You got to give it all to God. I say it this way, which I think will help you bring understanding to this scripture. You know, as a believer who's born again, if you are ever longing to go back to the person who you were before Christ, you will fail as a Christian. Another way of looking at it is, if you are married and you keep wishing for the days of when you were single, that relationship will never work. You can't long to be the person you used to be and fight this good fight of faith as the person who you now are. The Bible says we are new creations in Christ Jesus. All the old things have been passed away. Behold, all things have been made new. And then he said that he put a heart of flesh on the inside of us. Hallelujah. He took Adam's nature. He took sin nature out of you and put his own nature on the inside of you. The book of Corinthians chapter 3 verse 16 and 619 says, Know ye not that you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Amen. You are a new creature. Oh, come on now. You are a new creature. I said this and it rings true today. Your past is your past, but it doesn't have to be your anchor. You've been given a future and that future is bright. Jesus died to give it to you. And even Jesus said, no man is fit for the kingdom of God looking back. You ought not be looking back at who you were. You ought to be looking forward as to who he made you. The Bible says that when you look into the word of God, it is a mirror not showing you who you are, but who you're supposed to be. Amen. That should be your focus. Who you're supposed to be, not who you were, but who he made you. Amen. In Christ is who you really are. And you cannot transform by the renewing of your mind into that person if you're fixed looking back at who you used to be. You will fail as a Christian looking backwards. Paul had a revelation of this in Philippians chapter 3 verses 12 through 14. He said, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. Now listen to me, it's not about being perfect. We as believers make mistakes all the time. That's why 1 John 1, 9 is in there. Confess your sins before the Lord. He's faithful and just to cleanse you from all of your unrighteousness. There is none perfect among us. He is the only perfect one. He does not require you to be perfect, but he does require that you try. <laughs> I'll say it again. He doesn't require that you be perfect, but he does require that you try. And this is what the Apostle Paul is basically saying. He said, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. So he's pushing on towards that perfection. Amen. Every day you should be committed and pushing on towards Christ. 
Verse 13, no, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Forget in the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on. Someone say, I press on. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize, which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Paul didn't focus on his failures. He focused on his future. Hallelujah. And you have to commit everything to the Lord. And you have to say, I'm no longer looking at that. I'm looking completely at you. First Kings chapter eight, verse 61 says this, and may your hearts be fully committed to the Lord by, by, uh, to live by his decrees and obey his commands at this time. Psalms 37, verse one through six, it says, do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong for like the grass, they will soon wither. Why do we want to be like the world? They will soon wither. You know, Colossians chapter two, it says, let your roots go down deep into Christ. But I don't let my roots go down deep in anything else. Hallelujah. If you let your roots go down deep something else, I don't know why the church would ever be envious of the world. The Bible says that they are going to wither. And their ways will not prosper. <laughs> but verse 3 says this, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell on the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Verse 5, commit your way to the Lord. Now everybody loves that scripture. He'll give me the desires of my heart. I thank you, Father, you give me the desires of my heart. But notice what he said right after that, commit your ways to the Lord. See, he will not be able to give you the desires of your heart if you don't first commit all of your ways to the Lord. Oh, come on now. Hallelujah. Listen, it, by committing everything you are to God, you can literally make him show up. <laughs> I'll say that again. You remember Paul and Silas when they were in prison? They committed everything they were to the Lord. They got thrown in prison because of it. And then at the midnight hour, they still shouting, they still praising, and God showed up and delivered them. Hallelujah. You remember Abraham with Isaac. He was committed. And he said, I will obey you even if I have to sacrifice my own son. He laid him on that rock. He got all the sticks and the rubble, and he started to build a fire. And God showed up because of Abraham's commitment. Your commitment to the Lord will literally force his hand and show up to deliver you. Oh, come on now. Hallelujah. Now what's good news about this is you really don't have to force his hand. He wants to show up, but our lack of commitment keeps him from being able to. So when we commit to God, he says, yes, those are my people. I'm their God. Here I come. We got to commit to the Lord with all that we are. Take delight in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your ways to the Lord. Trust in him. Hallelujah. Trust in him. And he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine in the day, your vindication like the noonday sun. Proverbs 16 verse 3 says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Everything that we are, we should be committing it to the Lord. Your business, you should commit that to the Lord. Your family, you should commit that to the Lord. Your ministry, you should commit that. Your life... Your schoolwork, your children, you ought to commit it to the Lord. Amen. Amen. You ought to bring it back to him and say, listen, I'm not moving away from my commitment, which brings us to our next point. We ought not let challenges weaken our commitment to God. We got to stay committed. We see this all through the scriptures. I got a couple I want to bring to light for you this morning. In Nehemiah chapters two through six, we know that he was called and he rebuilt the wall. While he was rebuilding the wall, he was mocked for it. They said even foxes will jump over and knock it down. 
When he was rebuilding the wall, he was threatened with violence. You're going behind the king's back and rebuilding a wall. Don't you know that this isn't right? And then he faced one more force of, uh, force of persecution, and that was betrayal from within. So he faced all this. He faced all this adversity. He faced all these challenges. But those challenges never weakened his commitment to God. In Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 3, he tells them, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Woo! As the church, we need to have the same commitment. Hallelujah. What you're doing for God with your life is a great work. Do not abandon it. You hold to it. You stick to it. Have a stick to about you. I don't even know if that's a word, but it sounds good. Hallelujah. Have a stick to about you to where you will not give up on the plan of God for your life. Be committed to it with everything that you have and all that you are, no matter the cost, and say, this is the way I will live my life. Hallelujah. You remember the three Hebrew children when they were threatened with being thrown into the fiery furnace. They were threatened with death because they wouldn't bow before the gold statue. What is that? That gold statue is just another form of religion. See, we serve one king. We bow before one God. Oh, hallelujah, the living God. The one who's worthy over in Daniel 6, 16 and 18 out of the Baron Study Bible says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar. I love this. This is the the Hebrew way of saying, Oh, bless your sweetheart. <laughs> That's how we say it in Southern. Oh, bless their heart. This is how they say it in Hebrew. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> you trying to make us bow down. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If the God whom we serve exists, then he is able to deliver us from the blazing fiery furnace and from your hand. I love this so much. Hallelujah. He says, but even if he does not. Woo, there it is. There it is. Even if they were committed. What are they saying? The God that we serve, if he exists, surely he is able to deliver us from this fire. But even if he doesn't, we're not bowing. They weren't moved. And what happened? The king steps back and he says, didn't I throw three men into the fire? He says, why is there four men in there dancing and rejoicing? Jesus joined them in the battle. Jesus joined them in the struggle. And then he pulled them out. And the Bible says the first thing the, kid did, the king did, he said, we will serve their God. And I'm going to go ahead and promote them. And we know what happened with Daniel. <clears throat> Now, what I love about Daniel and Nehemiah's uh, example, which is so strong, is not only did they face all this stuff, but in Daniel's situation, he was placed as an administrator over a territory, and it rubbed the other administrators wrong. Jealousy. Mm -hmm. Offense because someone else is being blessed. Mm -hmm. Nehemiah betrayed by somebody very close to him. We see that with Jesus, betrayed by somebody very close to him, Jews, one of his disciples. See, it doesn't matter what it is, if it's betrayal, if it's persecution, if it's fear, we never waver in our commitment. Daniel didn't waver. We know the Bible says the king opened up the lion's den and he looked down on him. He yelled out, Daniel, Daniel. And I love what Daniel said, long live the king. Hallelujah. The king pulled him out and it said that he threw. And I love this. He said, uh, uh, the whole nation will reverence the God of Daniel. And if they don't, they'll be torn limb from limb. (laughs) And then after he made that decree, he promoted Daniel. Your end is victory. I said your end is victory. I said your end is victory. 
And then our favorite biblical example is Jesus himself. He went to that cross and he died a miserable death, but that was not the end. The Bible says he went down into the deep for three days. He suffered our pain and our punishment. And on that third day, God said, it is enough. Holy Spirit, go down and get him. And the Bible says with the keys of death in the grave, he was raised up on that third day. He poured out his blood on the mercy seat. So that way, anybody who believes, hallelujah, should have a path to prosperity and salvation. Anybody who believes. <clears throat> Our end is always victory. Our end is always victory. John, I might need some more. I strain my voice and I'm trying to stretch it. Commitment isn't always easy, but he always understands. Over in John chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, <clears throat> it says, On the third day of the wedding took place in Canaan in Galilee, and Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why are you involved in me? Jesus replied to his mother, My hour has not yet come. Thank you so much. <clears throat> this is always awkward when the person giving the presentation takes a drink of water. <laughs> Because everybody starts listening for that awkward swallow that comes. <laughs> and so then when you're up speaking and you go to take a drink of water, you're like, I got to do it fast so no one hears. Like swallowing a little bit of water or a bunch of water makes a difference. Hallelujah. So everybody just like hum a hymn in your head right now. Hallelujah. So you hear me take a big old gulp of this. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> Don't worry, uh, you know, we've moved the chairs back in here, so if I have to cough or spit, uh, unless it's supernatural, it won't get to you. Hallelujah. <clears throat> and if it does get that far, it is supernatural, so just grab it and just, you know, <laughs> take it all in. Hallelujah. <clears throat> now, I love this. <clears throat> Why are we talking about this particular scripture at a wedding? Well, there's something in here that God wants us to see. Jesus, you know, they ran out of wine. <clears throat> And his mother came to him and she said, you know, you got to do something about this. And he said, woman, my hour has not come. And theologians, they tell us the reason why Jesus said that is because it was not the time for him to reveal himself as the Messiah to the world. Now, what I love about this is Jesus knows, remember that scripture we started with, no one can be a follower unless they step back and count the cost and give everything to follow Jesus, knowing all things because he's 100% God, 100% man, he knows as soon as I perform this miracle, it's the beginning of the end. I am the Messiah, the one who came to give his life as the perfect lamb of God so that my people can be saved. So that veil that separates man from God can be rent in two and they can now have fellowship with their heavenly father once again. And the only way that happens is if I go to the cross and in this moment, Jesus knows once I do that, once I cross that line, there's no going back. So this is what I believe happened in that very brief moment from his mom telling him to do it and him saying, my hour's not come. And then the moments to follow where he performed the miracle, Jesus stepped back. He counted the cost. And then he said, let's go. Jesus had a humanity. And he had to overcome that humanity to follow God with all of his heart. Amen. I love this scripture in the book of Hebrews. 
chapter 4, verse 14 through 16, it says, So then, since we have this great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. Let's stop right there. Jesus believed he was the Messiah. And he would not let go of that. He was committed to that. He was committed to us. Now, as you keep reading, what does it say? Verse 15, 15, this high priest of ours understands our weakness. For he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. Now listen to this part, so good. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we'll receive his mercy and we'll find grace to help us when we need it most. The reason why most Christians fail in their commitment to God is because they don't practice what Jesus practiced and they don't go to the garden into the throne room of their heavenly father to receive his mercy and the grace, the supernatural power, the divine power of God working in their life, which is what grace is. They don't go to receive that grace that gives them the inner strength to overcome the testing and the trials of the day. Therefore, they waver in their commitments. Listen to me now. When you give your lives to him, you can receive that wonderful grace and it will produce a resolve in you that is unwavering. We can't do this without him. We need his help and we need his grace. We can't waver in our commitment to our heavenly father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The next thing we have to do is we have to fight. In order to fight this good fight of faith, we must use our weapon. Go over to Ephesians chapter 6. Y'all doing all right this morning? Hallelujah. Apparently I'm going to turn every single page until I get there. Hallelujah. Ephesians chapter 6. A final word, we'll start in verse 10. A final word, be strong in the Lord's mighty power. Put on God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies and tricks of the devil. Verse 12, for we are not fighting against people made of flesh and blood, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against those mighty powers of darkness who rule this world and against wicked spirits of heavenly realms. So you understand your fight's not with people. And anybody you are listening to that makes you think your fight is with people, you need to change the channel. Anybody that you're listening to, whether they're a celebrity, whether they're an athlete, or whether they're a minister, if after listening to them, you are mad at people, then you are being deceived. And you need to change the channel. You ought not let that deception come in your heart to where you're mad at your neighbor because that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, let us love our neighbors. Hallelujah. And so we have to be sure that we're taking the fight where the fight's supposed to go, which is those evil powers, the devil himself. Now, if you listen to somebody and you're mad at the devil, you ought to be mad at the devil. You want to bruise his head with your heel. Amen. You want to kick him right in the teeth. Hallelujah. And take as much territory as you can. There's no problem being mad at the devil. The problem is, is most Christians are mad at other people. And so we understand that we ought not be mad at somebody else. No matter what they look like, no matter what they sound like, no matter if they hurt us or didn't hurt us. It'll cut you off from receiving what God has for you. 
You know, I, I was reading Matthew or Mark 5, you know, it's the one with the issue of blood and Jairus, and it's such an interesting passage. And, uh, you know, Jairus, he came to Jesus because his, his child was at home dying, and he said, I need a miracle. And right in the moment of him talking, Jesus gets touched by this woman with the issue of blood and then interrupts the conversation. And Jesus feeling virtue and that power that went out of him. He stops his conversation with Jairus and he turns and he starts talking and dealing with the woman. And we know the story. Jairus' helper comes and he says, don't bother the Messiah anymore for your child is dead. And Jesus having that cocktail effect. Here's this turning on in the background. And so he turns to Jairus and he says, don't be afraid, don't be afraid but only believe. Now, what I love about this is Jairus, he went to Jesus to get a healing. And in the middle of that, it got interrupted, but he didn't get bitter. He didn't get upset. Right. He didn't let the hurt of what happened in that moment deter him from being committed and going to Jesus to get what he needed to get. How does that work and applicable in our lives? Well, stuff happens all the time that tries to get us away from Jesus. Stuff happens all the time. You can't let it happen. Amen. You got to determine in your heart, I'm going to receive what he has for me. So let's keep going. That was just extra. Someone say, praise God. God. Someone say, I'm here this morning. Yeah, you are. Verse 13, use every piece of God's armor to resist the enemy in the time of evil. We've entered that time. So that after the battle, you'll still be standing firm. Stand your ground, put it on the sturdy belt of truth and the body of armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. In every battle, you will need faith as your shield to stop the fiery arrows aimed at you by Satan. <laughs> there it is again. Where are they coming from? They're not coming from people. They're coming from Satan. The arrows being thrown into your life are not coming from people. It's coming from the devil. That'll help someone in the room. It'll deliver you. And then he says this, put on salvation as your helmet, uh, put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, when we read about the whole armor and we focus on this, we realize that only one piece of that armor that's given to the believer is an offensive weapon. That's right, sir. It is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And when I was studying this and looking at this, the Lord told me lots of times many believers, they fail in this life because their sword is sheathed. You're not supposed to sheathe your sword. You're supposed to have that thing out in front of you. You're supposed to be fighting with it. And so for us to fight, we've got to stay. I want to read this excerpt to you real quick. It said, is it, talking about the word of God, it was with this weapon that the Savior met the tempter in the wilderness in Matthew 4. It is only by this that Satan can now be met. You can't meet him with any other weapon. You can only meet the tempter. You can only meet the devil with the word of God. And we know this to be true. The word of God is no match for the devil. The devil is no match for the word of God. (laughs) Amen. And so we have to wield it. Now, what does he keep saying? It says, nor can we, or I'm sorry, error and falsehood will not put back temptation, nor can we hope for victory unless we are armed with the truth. Error and falsehood will not put back temptation. The only thing you can fight temptation with, the only thing you can fight the devil with is with the word of God. It is an offensive weapon that has been given to you to fight the good fight of faith. Amen. We must refuse in our hearts to be moved away from the word of God. Over here in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verses 2 through 4 out of the Baron Study Bible. It says, preach the word. Uh Now I want to stop right there. We know that this is a book written by the Apostle Paul. 
He was in a prison that was probably cold, damp, gross, somewhere in Rome. And he wrote this letter just a few weeks before he was beheaded for preaching the gospel. And the reason why he was in prison was because of the government. And he's writing a letter to Timothy, who is also suffering great persecution. His church has been split there in Ephesus, and they're fighting against each other. They're fleeing the church because of persecution, and they say within themselves, if I get away from the church, I can get away from persecution. And Timothy has become very distraught. He's become very vexed in his soul. And Timothy is right, or Paul's writing him this letter. And the whole reason that Timothy is having this problem is because of the government in that day. We know that Nero, he started that great fire in Rome. And then about three, this is about three years later. After that fire, what did he do? Because Nero was losing his mind and he was losing control. He needed a scapegoat in some way to turn the Roman people back to his side. So he started this fire and then he blames the church. And they start persecuting him. They start throwing him in prison. And so now we come to this scene where the Apostle Paul is writing this letter where the government has turned against the church. And if we see a moment in church history where the Apostle Paul could have said, take the fight to the government. If there would have ever been a moment where the Apostle Paul would have said, charge the church to stand up for their political viewpoints, charge the church to dig in their heels and fight, charge the church. But he didn't say any of that. The first thing he says is preach the word. Amen. Amen. Oh, come on. That's a whole lot better than y'all. <laughs> Hallelujah. We got to stick with the word. Now watch what Paul warns him of here. He says, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, reprove, reprove, rebuke and encourage with every form of patient instruction. For the time will come when men will not tolerate sound doctrine, but with itching ears, they will gather around themselves teacher to suit their own desires. This is the problem with doctrine is it doesn't suit your own desires. It tells you what you need to change about your desires to come in line with God's word. <laughs> and that's why so many Christians reject it. <laughs> Tell me what I want to hear. Tell me what's easy. Tell me I can live in sin and God still loves me. Tell me it doesn't matter about my, oh, come on, hallelujah. I, I can get on this soapbox and preach if y'all want me to. Tell me I can live however I want and it's going to be okay. The word doesn't tell you that. The word tells you to live a life of fidelity to Christ, his precepts, his teaching and his doctrine. Not only hear them, but then obey them and then it will be well with you. Amen. We've got to commit in our hearts that we're going to stick with the word and we're not going to abandon it. They want somebody that's going to preach something that suits their own desires. So they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. What is the truth? The Bible says Jesus is the truth. It also says thy word is truth. There's a whole lot of Christians that are turning to myths. Being deceived by something other than the word of God. And since they're turning away from the word of God, they're sheathing their sword. Therefore, they can't fight against the wiles of the devil. And it consumes them. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 and 10. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, 
which are based, now listen to this, on human tradition and the spiritual forces of the world rather than Christ. Everything that comes forth from a pulpit in a church should be rooted in Christ. Not philosophy, not opinion. It should be the word. Now, how do we make sure it's the word? You desire that. I said you desire that. You should desire the word of God to come forth from the pulpit to encourage you in this season. Galatians chapter 5, verse 7 and 10. It says you are running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you'll take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. (laughs) That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. And then he said it just takes, now listen to this, just a little bit of yeast to corrupt the whole dough. Just a little bit of error and false teaching will shipwreck your whole faith. Doesn't even have to be a lot. Just a little bit of error, just a little bit of false teaching will shipwreck your whole faith, keep you from fighting the good fight of faith. We got to stick with the word. I said we got to stick with the word. Ravi Zacharias, he said this truth by definition can't include everything. Truth, by definition, can't include everything. If it includes everything, there's no such thing as falsehood. If there's no such thing as falsehood, there's no such thing as truth. Truth, by definition, can't include everything. And I'll say this to you, body of Christ, church. As Christians, we cannot absorb opposing views. It's that simple. As Christians, you cannot absorb opposing views. Jesus said, I am the truth. Let us believe him. Whatever opposes the... Man. God has said all he's going to say about certain issues. And we said it two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Long before it was political, it was biblical. God said what he had to say about marriage. God said what he had to say about gender. God said what he had to say about sex and sexuality. We not not pull back from the truth of God's word. Now let me charge the parents in the room. Don't let the world corrupt your child and get them away from their purpose. No one is here by accident. We're all here because of a purpose and that purpose is our creator. He made us with a purpose to do good works, which he called us unto a long time ago. Amen. And you're not here by some big bang in the sky. Chance, time, and space. That didn't create you. God created you. And when he created you, he created you with a purpose. And everything that the devil's doing right now is to steal the purpose, especially amongst the young ones. You read the scriptures, you find out who God really had to protect and supernaturally protect from beginning to end most of the time is the children. Because most adults don't struggle with male and female. But a young child who can be easily deceived because they're still in that state of innocence and gullibility. The devil moves in swiftly to steal their purpose and their call. If you are a parent, do not tolerate that in your household. Amen. 
You go all the way back to the beginning in Genesis, the Bible says he created he, them male and female. Yes. And there's a specific purpose to male and female. Teach them that. Yes. Show them the truth. Yes. Hang it around their neck. So when someone tells them you're not, you can be whatever you want to be. When someone tells them that, they're easily recognizing it as an error and a falsehood and they reject it. We said it a couple weeks ago, if you don't teach your children, someone else will. And they don't have your children's best interests at heart. Amen. And so you have to teach your children what the truth is. And truth cannot absorb everything. If truth absorbs everything, it loses its power. Hallelujah. John 15, 7 says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. I want to read John 15, 7 from the Benson commentary. It says, if you abide in me through a faith working by love and my words abide in you practically and experimentally, if you adhere steadfast to the doctrine which I have taught you, firmly believe in my declarations, obey in my precepts. And affectionately embracing and relying on my promises, you shall have what you ask. You shall ask what you will, and it shall be done for you. But notice the keys he gave in there. Abide in my word, steadfast in doctrine, obey my precepts. That is the key. We can't abandon the word of God. When we abandon the word of God, we abandon the very thing that our lives are supposed to be built on. Over in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, it says this. Therefore, therefore, everyone who hears the words of mine and acts on them is like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. The rain fell, the torrents raged, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. When the rain fell and the torrents raged and the winds blew and beat against the house, it fell and great was its collapse. God does not want your life to collapse. He wants it to be sturdy. He wants it to be strong. And in order for it to be sturdy and strong, it must be built upon the rock. If we don't build upon the rock, when challenges come, everything unravels real quickly. We can go back to Genesis 3 and look at it, but we won't for time's sake. When Adam and Eve got away from the word of God, their lives unraveled. They were kicked out of the place that God had provided for them where provision was. The Bible says an angel of fire came to guard that place to keep them from going back in. It says that they were at enmity with each other. The Bible says instead of having easy provision from their God, they now had to till and work hard by the sweat of their brows to labor over the land. The Bible says that woman entered into painful childbearing. And then catch this now, in chapter 4, their very first two children, Cain, killed Abel. So not only did their lives unravel because they got away from the word, but then it went to the next generation and their lives unraveled. See, we have to stick with the word, not only for us, but for the generation that's coming behind us. If it's watered down to us, then it'll be so watered down to them. We have to stick with the word of God, not just the word of God, but the pure, true word of God. Amen. Two things we have to do to fight this fight of faith. We have to be committed and we have to stick with the word. If we will do those things, we will overcome. We hope you're inspired by today's message. If you want to hear more from the word of God, head over to cwol.org. 
check us out on YouTube or any social platform under at Seawall Madison. We believe God is working within you, and we want you to know Him so you too can make Him known.